Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 114. This is Sunday, October the 1st, 2017. And today's guest is Dr. David Danielson Eaton, who is an organist, teacher and church musician whose performances have been described as world-class, dynamic and consummately musical, meticulous and powerful, and the zenith of musical talent. His appearances in the great cathedrals and churches in Europe and various venues throughout North America, including uh, Alice Tully Hall in Lincoln Center, the Piccolo Spoleto Music Festival in Charleston, South Carolina, the Concordia Organ Series at Concordia College in Bronxville, New York, the Old West Organ Society Summer Evening Concerts at Old West Church in Boston and St. Thomas Church in New York City have been met with great enthusiasm. As church musician, he has held appointments in New York, Boston, Minneapolis, San Antonio, Austin, Wisconsin, Iowa, and South Carolina. Dr. Eaton served as director of music at the Church of St. John the Evangelist on Bacon Hill in Boston and as director of music at historic St. Helena's Episcopal Church, founded 1712 in Buford, South Carolina. For 10 years, Eaton uh, served parishes in Texas, first as director of music and organist choir master at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in San Antonio, Texas, and then at All Saints Episcopal Church on the University of Texas at Austin campus. Dr. Eaton is currently director of music and organist at the parish of the Epiphany in Winchester, Massachusetts. In this conversation, Dr. Eaton shares his insights about the importance of enjoying yourself when you play the organ, uh, the importance of slow and concentrated and careful practice, and also being open for other people's suggestions. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, David, for joining today. Uh, we are hours apart, maybe seven hours apart, and uh, Atlantic is uh, across us, and uh, uh, we're thousands of miles apart, but uh, we're sharing common goal, common vision, right? Pipe organs and uh, pipe organ playing. So uh, I'm very eager to to get to know about your practice procedures, things that you are currently working on, things that inspire you, things that challenge you too. So how you overcome these things will be very valuable for our audience from 89 countries. Thank you so much, David. You're very generous and welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to get to know you and to speak with you and to uh, share thoughts and ideas on everything that we love so much to play the organ and to learn how to play the organ. David, do you remember those days when uh, somebody introduced you the pipe organ? Those early days, maybe, uh, could you share um, the story, how you first fell in love with the organ? Yes. Um, 
So I began playing piano first. My mother would um, go and take a piano lesson for herself. And then when I was young, maybe five or six years old, she would come and share that same lesson that she had just received. And um, she noticed that I was able to pick it up fairly quickly. And um, so within a short period of time, uh, she decided to give me separate piano lessons. And so my parents uh, took me to the University of Wisconsin. I grew up in, in Madison and I started studying uh, first with um, Shirley Steiner, who was a fantastic piano teacher in Wisconsin. And then um, uh, Larry Kelleher at Bethel Lutheran Church in Madison. And so um, I got my start there uh, on keyboard, on piano. And then uh, in my church, uh, our organist got sick. And when I was about 11 years old, I, I sort of by default just got drafted into playing the organ. And um, I can remember my first, um, first times when I heard Virgil Fox on uh, his, his traveling organ called the Black Beauty. Uh -huh. and, um, when, I was a, was when I was a young, young boy, hearing him in Madison and thinking to myself, my goodness, what is this? It completely captivated me. And um, I was involved in playing trombone, piano, and then organ was the third instrument. And so throughout my life, um, up until I was about 20 or 22 years old, I played all three instruments, um, but organ finally won. Oh, wonderful. Uh, good for you and good for the organ, too. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. So, do you remember, um, what was the first piece that you played? The first maybe challenging piece or not so challenging? So, I, I recall very vividly the, um, the C major prelude by uh, Bach, maybe Krebs, of the eight, yeah. prelude, eight little preludes and fugues. And I can still, I think, I'm, I haven't played it in a while, but I'm sure I could sit down and play it by memory, even, even today. It was one of those pieces that I found captivating and, you know, all the sequences were so clear. And uh, of course, the, the trickiest part about um, even those little pieces today are the cadences, the, the internal cadences within the piece that, uh, that challenged me then and still continue to challenge no matter what the work is. It seems like those internal cadences are something of a, 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 of, of a, of a study in themselves. Well, exactly. And did you play the fugue also at that time or just the prelude? I think I played the fugue, but I don't recall that as, as I'm sure that that came a little bit later, but I'm sure I played the fugue, but I do recall so vividly that C major prelude. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because uh, usually the fugues are more difficult, right, to start yeah. with, with that in, collection. It's a in, wonderful collection to start with, but fugues are kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, especially towards the end in C major, when the strato section comes in, you have the canon, and then then troubles <laughs> multiply. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for a young mind to consume all that information and, and make it come out in a coherent way sometimes. But uh, that's the challenge of it. 
Well, yes. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned uh, that in C major uh, prelude, not everything was so challenging, right? So what were some less difficult things for you at that time when you played it? What were some less difficult things? Um, for me, um, I also had a lot of hymn playing that I had done already on piano. Mm -hmm. so translating hymn playing to organ um, at a young age, I think, was a, a big advantage. Um, and that, I know that hymn playing is a difficult thing for organists because, in a way, him playing is a trio. The right hand maybe has two voices, the left hand has one voice, and the pedal is uh, with the feet. So your brain has to work differently than it does on organ than it does on piano. But I think as a child, I wasn't aware of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it became, it became common and it was, and it was relatively a quick Adapta adaptation that I was able to make to doing that kind of playing. Did you, for example, make this beginner mistake uh, of doubling uh, the bass with the left hand and with the pedals, you know, when people double? So that's, yeah, I, I can remember right away just trying to do that and fumbling around with the pedals a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I had good teaching right away and so they said, um, I can recall saying, we don't double with the hands and um, let's just take it apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just play the pedal by itself and let's see if we can mark it. Um, and then, so I was, I was given very, very good breakdown um, isolation practice technique from the very beginning. That's very fortunate for you because uh, a lot of times people start with him just like from the at uh, the piano, but plus the bass part uh, on the pedals, doubling the bass with the left hand also. And if they continue to do that, they struggle with hand and feet independence right away. Yeah, uh, when more difficult music, yes. right? Yes, yes, it, it becomes. It, yeah, it, it's a, it's not only a training of of the, um, the coordination, but it's also more a training of the brain because the brain is what sends the signals to the rest of your body. So it's really important to get that uh, squared around as quickly as possible. Great. So what happened next? How did you uh, choose this profession, right? You first uh, studied trombone, then piano, then organ, but it's not, it wasn't you know, like, 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 like a dream for you. When did you discover that you wanted to be an organist? So I was, I was very, I was very lucky to receive an opportunity to go to Concordia College in Bronxville. And I studied with Richard Heschke there. And uh, he's a, he's, a, he was an excellent organist. He just, uh, he just passed away this, this past um, fall. Oh of 2016 and um so i i still remember him and the, and the things that he taught me but i was i was lucky enough to receive a scholarship to go to concordia college in bronxville new york and study organ with him i also studied trombone with um um a gentleman named mo snyder 
who was a freelance trombonist and uh, in New York City. And I loved trombone and I loved organ. And um, it was really about my, but I received a scholarship to, to study organ. Right. Um, and so it was really about my junior year that I started to get serious about playing the organ. And I finally said to uh, uh, Mr. Snyder, um, I need to concentrate on, on organ and I need to let, let the trombone go. And so, um, so I really sort of focused in on, on organ and I knew that teaching uh, church music and performance, some combination of all those things was what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That's usually the, the most often done thing for organists. They combine performance, uh, liturgical organ playing, and of course teaching. Yes. Uh, there are people who, who manage to, do, to, to tour the world, uh, right? M playing multiple concepts every, every month. Yep. Um, but but they are on the minority, I think. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And, and I also find that the combination of those three general activities, one feeds the other, one informs the other. And so uh, when I'm not doing some combination of all those things, I feel, um, I feel like I'm having a drought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's also good to have this variety and not to put your eggs in one basket, right? Not it, to be dependent. Yes. I mean, it's, it's good for economic survival too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. You mentioned you had to let go trombone, right? Yes. It's all difficult and sad, right, to, to say goodbye to an instrument. Do you sometimes miss it today? I do. I do. So the interesting thing was um, about the trombone. Um, I don't really play trombone at all anymore. I don't even have a trombone anymore. But later on, um, when I went to New England Conservatory of Music, they had a they at the time had a fabulous early music program, and so I uh, was able to um, become a part of different early music ensembles by playing sackbut. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, you know, as a, as a trombone player, it, that, was, that was much easier compared to what we had to do with modern trombone. And so that crossover was immediate and allowed me to participate with early music in a new way with an old instrument. Wonderful. Yeah. Have you seen this movie called Lady Killers with, uh, with Tom Hanks, I think, the, old, uh, the new version? I'm, and, I'm not seeing yeah, it. This was a uh, basically gang of, of thieves who wanted to rob the bank and they were hiding in the old, uh, old uh, women's basement and they were all pretending to be Renaissance musicians and one of them had to play uh, Sackbutt. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. And, uh, and uh, and he was like a big fellow, you know, like like American football player, like yeah. this. And he said, "But I don't play butt sack." Right. Oh, that's great. That's funny. I'll have to make sure I see that movie now. 
it's it's a wonderful movie yeah? uh, it's adaptation of the older version with peter sellers yeah yeah wonderful so david uh, you chose this profession right and um, of course you have now a lot of experience um, do you have uh, of course it's a stupid question but probably i will ask it anyway do you have your favorite repertoire Oh, uh, no, it's not, a, it's not a silly question. It's, it's, it's certainly not. I mean, I think everyone has probably preferences. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, so here's, here's kind of an interesting way to answer it, and I think many people may, may even answer it this way. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of in love with whatever repertoire is in front of me at, at that given moment. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever I have to play or whatever I've been asked to play or um, whatever it may be that's right in front of me. Uh, mm -hmm. I really, I really do love all sorts of music. Mm -hmm. um, and I seem to have the, uh, the, the, the knack of, of finding a way to, um, for, for whatever is in front of me to find its way to my heart. Mm -hmm. That being said, there, there's certain, uh, repertoire that that uh, that I do seek out myself first and um, that tends to be um, I really have a soft spot in my heart for North German repertoire um, oh, repertoire and um, you know uh, all the all the, the golden age of the organ from Swaling to Bach mm -hmm. and, and all the genealogy all the organ genealogy that comes in between I just think it's it's um, it's it's where we come from as organists, and it it it, it, it it's so cosmopolitan, and um, for its time, it it provides an incredible foundation for everything else that comes after it, mm -hmm. from just about every school in the world. So it's kind of like uh, going to ground zero for organ music. Mm -hmm. When did you first discover Swelling, by the way? Was it early? Swelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that was when I was an undergrad. Uh -huh. A long time ago. And, and I, uh, I was introduced to Swelling, and I was introduced to um, early fingerings. Mm -hmm. This was in the... You know, this was 1981 to 1985, so this was kind of early on, at least in this country, for for that kind of study and the articulation that that it it involved, um, and then um, I think that was my early introduction to it, and that was with uh, uh, Richard Heschke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, well, it's important to have this this. Um historically informed performance oriented techniques right under your fingers and feet um, even though you you may not encounter historical keyboards all the time but it would take uh, a lot of time to uh, learn the piece in two ways modern way and the historical way and it's i think it's very efficient to, to learn the historical way first Absolutely. and uh, that's save time right yeah. Oh, I'm, I, and I, 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 I've all also been very, very blessed with having the opportunity to play on mechanical action organs just about 
I had some combination of mechanical and electric action organs as an undergrad, as a grad student, and also then uh, everything thereafter. So, um, you know, in America, we don't, we don't have the opportunity to, to zone in on, on one particular style. We have, to be, we have to be broad generalists and specialists at the same time. And so it's, um, I felt like it was uh, great to be at a college in New York City where all our instruments were uh, mechanical action instruments. Yes. Uh, a lot of times organists who only play electronic keyboards, synthesizers, virtual organs, things like that, pipeless organs, right? Uh, even electric action organs miss out on uh, on mm. this mm. sense of touch that nobody can replicate, probably. There's, right? there's yeah. Oh, there, for me, again, this is the part of the the beauty of playing an inst uh, playing a, a beautifully sensitive pipe organ. It's that tactile sense in that the oral sense of being able to control every little nuance of what the pipe is going to do and to be able to, I, I, there's, there's something um, incredibly gratifying and satisfying about, about having that intimate connection yeah. with the sound of the pipe um, and that mechanical connection um, in your fingers and in your ears and in your entire body is, is I mean, I sound uh, uh, like, like it's almost a Zen type of experience, but it is. It really, that's part of what I fell in love with also. That's like a part of a meditation, right? In part, meditation, uh, and it's very physical. It's also very physical. It's a direct connection with, with the physical instrument right if is another material um with electronics we don't have that um uh, right like pianists they have a direct relationship with the with the piano they yeah. can manipulate the touch manipulate the sound uh, and that's the as close as as we can get with the mechanical action organ too yeah it it, it also struck me as a young organist uh understanding the, the mechanical connection and then thinking to myself as a as also a trombonist gosh i'm so happy that this mouthpiece doesn't have an on off switch <laughs> yes I, I mean i don't think uh, an instrumentalist would ever consider um the possibility of having an on off switch to make articulation or to make a sound any sort. I don't think a violinist would, would want an on-off switch to make a sound on their bow. Um, or a, a, any wind player would want an on-off switch. And so to have the ability to articulate, um, it's, not as, it's not as subtle, obviously, as what you could do at, uh, with, with a mouthpiece and with your, your embouchure. But it, it's the closest that you can get uh, on any keyboard instrument with mechanical action. So that was incredibly satisfying to me coming from an instrumental standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So David, uh, of course, you fell in love with the organ uh, when uh, probably you heard this uh, 
uh, e-power bix recording right uh, uh, amazing uh, organ uh, like a beast uh, like a mechanical wonder right mm -hmm. all those things oh yeah and then continue to practice up to this day right could you could you tell us why do you keep practicing even today right what keeps you going today i haven't you uh, had enough of pipe organ by by now <laughs> yeah yeah no this was this was a great question this is a great this is an excellent question i i had a i remember after finishing my um, undergraduate degree i went back home to wisconsin mm -hmm. and one of my aunts or uncles um was a little bit older quite a bit older um looked at me and said now what are you going to do and i said well i i'd like to go to graduate school and study organ performance and she very sincerely and intently looked at me and she said well how many notes are there on on the keyboard and i said well you know on a piano there are 88 keys but there are only you know 12 notes in an octave and she said she looked at me very seriously and she said well haven't you learned them all yet yes and and, and that was that was really an interesting perspective for me. Uh, I laughed and chuckled, and, and we enjoyed that, that joke that she made. But it's, it's a never-ending quest to learn more repertoire, to discover new ways, because those 12 notes have limitless combinations. Yeah. And so they keep us fascinated for a lifetime. We can never get through everything we'd like to get through. Don't you feel like it's an addiction, a good addiction, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a never-ending opportunity to learn more things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we keep discovering new horizons. Like we, we master one problem, we overcome one challenge, and then the second one is right next around the corner, right? Absolutely. And Just when you think you've got it figured out. You don't have it figured out, and that's um, it's it's also sometimes a little bit uh, perplexing. But at the same time, um, it also provides new opportunities, and it stretches your mind and your body and your soul in ways um, that you could never imagine. Um, what you what you walk into today, and what you put on the key desk in front of you today provides new opportunities to learn new things and to think new thoughts and to feel new feelings. And it's a, what a tremendous gift to be able to do that. Right. David, I know it's early in the morning uh, at home, right, for you uh, and evening for me. Uh, but uh, have you had the chance to practice today yet? I, first thing I do is get up and I, uh, I run to the keyboard. So I have a keyboard at home. And I, and I work, first thing I do is warm up my fingers. My uh -huh. fingers warm up with my brain. And so as then I'm ready to go, then I feel like I'm ready to go for the day. So what have you played today already? What have you practiced? What have I practiced today? Um, let's see, what was it this morning? I was, <laughs> I think, Saiga um, Grusit variations, the Bach Saiga Grusit variations. Um, <clears throat> um that's a great uh that's a great piece to um it has everything in it all yeah. the compositional styles and all the challenges and they're little bite-sized 
um, uh, variations. And so that's a, that, that was one thing that I touched this morning. Um, and then I, and then I also play hymns right away. Uh -huh. Wonderful. Yeah. So Zeitgegrüßet is like a, like a Orgelbuchlein in itself, right? Or Klavierübung. In, in one variation, you, you find uh, one style of setting, uh, hymn setting, another, uh, it, it encompasses um, multiple styles, right? And yes. uh, an organist can do many things while learning this, and it's never boring. It's never boring, and no matter how long you play a piece, you can... It, uh, you can pick it up and it comes alive in new ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, David, um, when you look at yourself, for example, back in your early days of organ playing, do you, uh, do, would you do something differently today if you had opportunities to start all over? You know, I, I, I don't regret anything. Um, I've, I've I've been very, very blessed to have opportunities that uh, seem to have served me well and, and seem to have, um, I, I, I enjoyed my path and I'm not sure I would do anything to change it. I, I, I think it's, uh, there's nothing I can do to change it. Um, right, right. What I can do now from, from this day forward though is, is um, you know, I have the benefit of the past to, to know what I'd like to concentrate and focus on as I move forward. But even with that, uh, I feel like it's really a, 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 an important thing to be able to just be open to opportunities that present themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, in the organ world, there are lots of opportunities and, and lots of ways to uh, to enrich oneself and to enrich the entire culture. And I'm so pleased that to be here with you and to participate in something that you've done to broaden the organ world and to bring new perspectives from organists to, uh, to our, our community. So this is, this is a tremendous thing that you have been able to do. And uh, these, are, these are the kind of opportunities that we just never know about. You're right, David, and I alone could could not achieve anything because, right? I can I can lecture for an hour, maybe two, three, five, ten hours. But you, your podcast conversation is num is like one hundred fourteenth, right? So we had like those tremendous uh, discussions and, and conversations, dialogues between masters and not only masters, students also, and. All of them make uh, our world uh, a broader, broader place and bigger in a way. Uh, we share, we share, communicate ideas, and they enrich each of us. Right? Indeed, we're all students together in this journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's wonderful to meet you, wonderful to talk to you. You're so inspiring and, and wise with your experience and very generous. So, David, if li people are listening to you right now from eight to nine countries and they're wondering, um, what would be your number one advice uh, in order to become better organist? Let's say if you could say one, two or three things for a student, uh, how to get better at this craft, right? Yeah. How would you start? How would I start? Mm -hmm. um, enjoy yourself, first of all. 
and love what you're doing. Have your heart and your soul in it. Um, be committed to it. Uh, that's all part of loving, loving what you do. Um, the kind of practice that I would encourage one to do is, is slow and also very concentrated and focus, focus on those things that are a challenge and then take them slow enough and take them apart if need be, uh, break it down in ways that you can be successful. Mm -hmm. So being successful at, at slow speeds to allow your brain to um, accommodate all that information and to learn all that information is so very important. Then the third thing I would suggest is finding someone or a group of people that are willing to listen to you and that you're open to taking suggestions from. Mm -hmm. uh, because what we hear and what other people hear sometimes are many different things. It's also great to record oneself, but it's, yeah. it's very important, I think, to get a human perspective also. So those, those, those three things, love what you do, practice carefully and practice being successful, and then be open to having others hear you so that you can get honest, positive feedback. Wonderful, very wise suggestions and very inspiring advice. I think people will will benefit from this a lot because if you don't enjoy what you do, it's a, it's a struggle, constant battle. And yeah. it, it has to be a battle, right? But a good battle, right? You have to enjoy this battle for a long time otherwise it's it's a drag it's it's work no and it should be art and art is not work right right, right. and without slow and concentrated and careful practice um, a per person can only go so far right can can play you know at concerts tempo fast fast fat but it, it becomes sloppy very yeah. fast right very much. Uh, so. I'm not saying that mistakes are bad. Mistakes are good because we, 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 we learn something from them and we, uh, we take risks, right? And these are good. But, uh, but slow and concentrated practice is, is I think, uh, indispensable here. Yeah. And as you say, finding other people, uh, you know, to to listen to us, right, and give us advice. That's that's kind of benefit is also uh, tremendously valuable because uh, when you have other people, it's not the same as you're playing for yourself. Uh, you could be playing at the concert speed uh, quite uh, fast, and uh, and the the uh, the the piece would sound well. But right away, when somebody else is listening, you know what happens. You change, you change everything when you know there, there are more ears on it, yes. Yes, like Schumann, Robert Schumann said, uh, always practice as, uh, as if the master is listening to you. That's right, right. that's, right. Robert that's Schumann. right. That's very good advice. You change your perspective when you know someone's listening for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much, David. You're so inspiring. Keep creating, keep, uh, keep practicing. And keep sharing with your with your with your audience. What is your next performance? What is your next uh, opportunity to to listen yeah, and to 
So right now I've um, just recently re relocated to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And so um, there are a number of things that I'll be, I'll be uh, doing here. And I think I, I, I've got some concerts scheduled for the upcoming year, 2018. And um, all that information is available. Wonderful. So could you, could you give our listeners a link when they could find you and your work online? Certainly. My website is daviddanielsoneaton.com. And it's just spelled out my entire name, David, D-A-V-I-D, D-A-N-I-E-L-S-O-N-E-A-T-O-N.com. And it's, uh, um, it's a great place to, to, to find out what's, uh, what's happening with uh, my activities. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, and keep creating, keep sharing, and uh, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you online really soon.